Hello, welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Naughty. My name is Second here, hanging out with uh, Sir Thomas Manning, uh, recently knighted by the uh, the King of England. Uh, and so, no, I'm sorry, that was the King of uh, Listomania. Uh, no, it was and, actually the uh, the Duke of Earl, North Carolina. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, and you actually won the Duke of Earl five k at one point in your life, I think. So, so maybe well, yeah, I didn't there's win something the whole there. Thing, but I, I won my age group because of everybody else <laughs> in my age group. So, yeah. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. It's all about who shows up, man. It's about who shows up. Well, it's good to see you, man. Uh, you, you and I. Um, Sometimes we will agree on our thoughts on uh, on film and music and other pop culture related items. Other times we we do not, and uh, which which I love about the the art of interpretation of art and entertainment is that everybody uh, everybody can look at things differently, and uh, they, we all come from different perspectives, and so they speak to us in, in different ways. Uh, there's a film that a few weeks ago uh, talked about. With Daryl Manzel, uh, a film that we both have been looking forward to uh, all summer. Uh, actually, ever since they announced it, we were looking forward to it, and that was the uh, Indiana Jones uh, and the Dial of Destiny. We love the character. Uh, we both gave our take on it, and uh, you did not get a chance to give your take on it. Uh, now we both gave it a C plus, uh, and uh, wanted to get your, you know, your kind of quick take thoughts on uh, on Indiana Jones because I know that you've enjoyed the character as well, and you love Harrison Ford. Yeah, so I was so disappointed when I wasn't able to make it to the press screening a few weeks ago, and I was jealous that you and my mom were able to do so. And so I remember texting you after when you were on your way home, like, okay, how was the movie? Tell me how it was. And mom just texted back, it was fun. And then that's when I'm like, hmm, okay, what's going on here? And then and then uh talk about it more with both of you next day, and you just didn't have a ton of positive things to say about it. Uh said it was really much really just a downer and uh, lacked lacked a spark. And still, I didn't let that discourage me. I figured that I was still going to go in and enjoy it and have an appreciation for it because there are some times where you mentioned you and I disagree on stuff and I enjoy things more than you or vice versa. So I was, I was going into this uh, wat- watching Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny thinking, okay, I'm probably going to be a little bit more positive on this than my dad. And then within the first 30 minutes of the movie, I – knew exactly uh, why you felt the way you did and <laughs> and I realized that oh my gosh I have another two hours of this <laughs> and I'm going to be feeling like this for the next two hours this is depressingly Man. depressingly void of fun and yeah yeah it's uh, that that's the that's the quote that I gave my sister yeah. so I went to see it with Catherine <laughs> and I just in the car ride I was like Catherine just a depressingly void of fun film yeah yeah, which is sad. Uh, it really is sad. It, it's uh, a, a movie that's, um, uh, as of the recording of this, uh, on target to, to lose money, which uh, who would have ever said or who would have ever thought that an Indiana Jones film could lose money? And uh, this one's uh, on target to do that and uh, did not have the opening weekend when it was launched that people had expected. I mean, launching right around uh, July 4th, you would you would have some high expectations for it, but did not happen. So, uh, what is your uh, what is your rating for uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Ah, uh, yeah, I guess I'll give it a C plus as well. Uh, there's there's the, the set piece you saw in the trailer with the horse uh, Indiana Jones riding a horse through you know city streets in the middle of this parade and this protest. So, 
I think that's the one set piece where I was like, okay, this feels like it's capturing some of that Indiana Jones magic. But beyond that, I was just kind of numb to the whole thing. So yeah, all right. Well, uh, we've always got Raiders uh, and Last Crusade to go back to, uh, and if you want to see some giant ants, man, let's go to the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, or you can you can or you can be like Noel and uh, and pull out some uh, some good old paperbacks. I've got a bunch of uh, Indiana Jones paperbacks, a ton of them. That uh, I'm reading one right now, which I'm enjoying quite a bit uh, more than I enjoyed uh, the Dial of Destiny. Well, Thomas, uh, don't, uh, don't forget uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles as well. That's right. That's exactly right. I've got all of those. Uh, if you need them, let me know, uh, and I'll tell you where you can find them. Uh, so uh, when I think back to our preseason, when we were telling uh, folks our, our summer preview of, of films that we were looking to, uh, looking forward to, Indy was one of those, but also uh, there was a new Wes Anderson film that we were both looking forward to as well. So uh, so let's uh, let me ask you the question. Did this one disappoint uh, like uh, Indiana Jones did? It certainly did not disappoint. Uh, in fact, I think Asteroid City is my favorite film of 2023 thus far. Wow. Uh, it's Yeah. So it's a you know, sci-fi romantic dramedy. And on the surface, the narrative of the film itself is displayed as this period piece that's set in 1955. And there's this group of students and parents that travel to this middle of nowhere town called Asteroid City. And there's this like celestial event, this junior stargazer convention. But we, we also realize that the narrative that we see playing out is actually the televised production of a fictional stage play called Asteroid City within the real world universe of the film. So very meta, very self-aware. And so like this internal storytelling of the play you know, comments on the external storytelling of the movie that we see playing out and vice versa. So it's, uh, yeah, it definitely West gets to play around with a lot of, a lot of the perspectives in that, in that area. Yeah. This honestly, it, it looked visually looked like a Wes Anderson film, but it felt much more like a Coen brothers film, uh, in, in a lot of different ways for me. Um, I, I enjoyed what I was seeing. And let me just say this up front. Um, Wes Anderson films are, are not the typical audience pleasers. Uh, you know, you're not going to go for a general audience win with this kind of film. It's, it's incredibly different as most Wes Anderson films are. But I think this one takes uh, different even to another level because from, from a story standpoint, uh, you know, if you're going in expecting a, you know, a, a sci-fi alien film. Yeah, you're going to get a little bit of that, but not in a way you've probably ever seen before. Uh, it, it, it does a lot of things tongue in cheek. Um, you've got some quirky characters, which you always see in Wes Anderson films, as you do in Coen Brother films uh, as well. Uh, but uh, you've got some amazing cast uh, attached to this. Uh, and... The location is a very simple location. There's not many 
uh, locations on this particular uh, film. So from a budgeting standpoint for, for the production design, they didn't have to spend a whole lot on this uh, or, or not, not compared to what you're going to find uh, in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yeah, they didn't have to spend a lot of money on locations, but on the actual art direction and production design and set decoration, that I'm sure took an insane amount of time and energy and resources because, um, as we all know from Wes's filmography, that he's going, he's extremely articulate and extremely particular about, you know, every detail that's within the visual frame. And, um, so, and I think just, this is that is magnified you know more than almost any of other wes anderson films in asteroid city um just this this one town but basically they built a whole town for this film and uh, it's it's gorgeous and beautiful uh but also kind of balances that with this um loneliness that all these characters are feeling in this town and this isolation uh so Really interesting how all those um, ideas were balanced. Yeah, and, and there are a, a group of teenagers who are all relatively brilliant in their uh, own right. Uh, and, and some of them are even brilliant beyond um, definition. <laughs> you even see them at one point uh, kind of in a campfire type circle uh, going around and playing some games that only the nerds would know how to play. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I, I did really uh, appreciate the quirkiness uh, in the characters, as I, as I do with many of these films. And man, the cast is is pretty vast. And uh, as far as the names that you would know, including some some cameos. Uh, you know, Margot Robbie shows up in a in a very uh, you know small cameo. Jeff Goldblum uh, in a very small cameo as well. But you've also got Brian Cranston, who is almost this Rod Serling type character from a Twilight Zone who is, you know, talking you through the story, but Jeffrey Wright, Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Jason Schwartzman, uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, Edward Norton. I mean, I, I'm just, I, I'm leaving out many because there are so many. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about Tom Hanks for a minute. This was his first collaboration with Anderson. And so Hanks plays the role of Stanley Zack, who's, you know, this older gentleman and he's lost, recently lost his daughter. Um, and he has a strained relationship with, you know, the widowed husband of his daughter, uh, who was played by Jason Schwartzman. Um, but, um, you know, Hank's character still has a deep love for his four grandchildren. Um, so there's a conversation with, between Hank's and Schwartzman, um, where Hank's says he's talking to this idea of seeking peace and contentment in the midst of all this just immense heartbreak and immense pain. And here's the quote from Hank's character. He says, in my loneliness, I've learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. And he's talking to Jason Schwartzman's character. And I think that really just sums up the heart of this movie. And that was like my, that's, that's probably going to be on my year end list of, you know, favorite movie moments of 2023. I think just that conversation right there is going to be one that uh, sticks with me for a long time to come. This is a beautifully unique and different kind of film. Uh, and it is one that I think more people should see and see it for what it is. Uh, but uh, it does take a certain type of audience, I think, to appreciate 
a film like this. And uh, you and I have seen so many and we continue to see so many films that we kind of know what we're going into when we're going into a Wes Anderson type of film. And so uh, I'm I'm pleased that we got a chance to check this one out. Uh, Asteroid City still uh, in theaters uh, for this summer. Any final thoughts or comments you want to make sure you share before we give our ratings and take a quick intermission? Oh, yeah. So recently, Wes Anderson or the style of his films has inspired a TikTok trend. Um, but I think what separates Wes Anderson's movies themselves from something like a TikTok trend is that there's so always a beautiful substance beneath that style. It's one mm-hmm. thing just to create a little 30 second video that's, you know, does all the symmetry and has all these little fun little character movements and this, uh, this fun lighting and color palette. But when you're doing committing that to an entire feature film and doing something underneath the surface with the actual themes you're working with, that's what makes them so special. And I think the best way I can put it is that you know, sometimes life feels like a dream, but also sometimes dreams feel almost more vivid than real life. And I think Wes yeah. Anderson's movies walk that tightrope. And um, that's, you know, that's why I just connect with his movies so deeply. And um, that's why Asteroid City is, you know, my favorite current film of the year so far. And uh, I'm going to give it a solid A right now. Wow. Marvelous thoughts, Thomas. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Really appreciate that. Uh, a solid B rating for me for Asteroid City. I um, appreciated it on many levels uh, as well. And you can still find that in theaters uh, this summer. Uh, and uh, as we approach award season in a few months, as Thomas said, uh, it's going to be on his list. At least it is now. I think you're going to find it on more list. Uh, as the year wraps. Uh, we are going to take a quick intermission right here on Meet Me in the Movies. Uh, Noel T. Manning II here with Thomas Manning. Uh, we appreciate you spending time with us, uh, C19 TV and WGWG. Uh, stick around. We've got more, uh, including our take on uh, Thor uh, trying to, you know, take care of business. Uh, and, uh, and we'll see if we talk about that as well as a, a big old bear right after this uh, quick intermission. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come and watch Hi, it? I'm Tim Foster from C19 TV Sports. Join us each month for Yeti Tracks right here on C19 TV. Each month we talk to the players and the coaches of Yeti Athletics, including cross country, Yeti's boys baseball, and Yeti's girls softball. We break down the matchups, the conferences, the games, and the events that make Yeti sports so special. Stay informed with Yeti Athletics right here on Yeti Tracks each month. Join us right here on C19 TV and online at C19.tv.
Hello and welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Man in the second here hanging out with Thomas Manning. We're talking films because we can. Some of those films uh, are in theaters and some are at home. That's the beauty of this show is we we explore uh, films, TV, all sorts of entertainment. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a, a Netflix uh, original uh, that is a sequel. You know, summer is the time for sequel, Thomas. Uh, we've been talking about some of that stuff uh, all summer. And we're going to continue to talk about those in the weeks to come uh, as well. But uh, Joe Russo um, wrote and um, produced a, a project uh, just a couple of years ago, along with Anthony Russo, uh, called Extraction, and, and, and cast uh, an old friend, uh, Mr. Hemsworth, uh, Chris Hemsworth, uh, in this true action film. Uh, action film, uh, uh, I mean, on, on every aspect. Uh, directed by uh, Sam Hargrave, who is known for his stunt work. And uh, I was really impressed with that first film, Extraction. I loved it. I, I kept going, man, this is one that would just be fun to watch on the big screen. It was just an action popcorn flick, but it had some heart to it as well. So when I heard they were doing a sequel, I said, wow, are they going to be able to measure up? Yeah, I think actually one of the first people I heard talk about the first Extraction was our good friend, friend of the show, Douglas Davidson, and uh, I remember him teasing the embargo hadn't lifted yet, but he was like, hey, I just saw a movie that can't really talk about yet, but it's it was one that blew me away, really surprised me, one of my favorite action movies in a long time, and that ended up being Extraction, and uh, I think one of the uh, one of the moments in that first film that stuck with a lot of people was the 11-minute one-take um, they, you know, included a car chase. And if you look at the behind the scenes of that, you have the camera operator, like he's, he's strapped to the front of this Jeep and then he gets off of the Jeep and runs and chases the action through the streets. And it, so a lot of that wonder was very practical. There were a few stuff yeah. in there, but a lot of it was the real deal. So they have to, of course, find a way to top that in the sequel here. And here we have a 21 minute wonder. Uh, almost double, us, almost double. <laughs> it takes us from a prison brawl and prison escape to a car chase to a train uh, that's being like strafed by this helicopter and this train is derailed. And so all of this over the course of 20 minutes in real time, it is it is just honestly mind boggling stuff. Oh, it really is. I, I um, absolutely love one takes when they're done well, when they're executed well. And we have been fortunate enough over the past few years to be able to see some of those. Uh, filmmaking in itself is is equally equal parts of art and science. And you have to execute each of those perfectly uh, at times. Sometimes you can get lucky. But in situations where you're wanting to create a one-take or uh, um, a concept of a one-take, uh, everything really does have to click, 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 click into place. And uh, when I saw Extraction 2, that one-take you, you just mentioned and described, I was just, I was smiling and I was grinning and I was going, dang, dang. Dang, look at that. I think you could actually hear me and you had to, you know, run in and go, Dad, are you, are you watching the one take? 
I yeah, so I watched it a couple of days before you, and then I knew that you and mom were going to be watching it upstairs a few days later. And so I, there was a point where I just heard a lot of noise upstairs, and then I hear you say, "Oh my gosh, his hands are on fire!" And I was like, "Okay, yep, I know exactly which scene he's watching now." And so Chris Hemsworth, you know, rock'em sock'em robots with flaming fists. It is yes. What more can you ask for in an action movie? It is yeah. For me. Uh, when that scene was finished, I said, okay, this, this, this 20, 21 minutes was worth the price of admission. And the price of admission was a subscription to Netflix. You know, <laughs> I just, uh, and, and let me, let's, let's kind of get the story. The, the story is, um, in, in the, in the previous film, we didn't know if, if Hemsworth's character was alive or dead, really. Uh, we, we, we had our feeling, but we didn't know for sure. Tyler Rake is the name of the character. And, um, we find out that he does survive, but not without, uh, some pretty major scarring, uh, both, uh, mentally, uh, and physically. And the recovery time, um, is not so easy. And we do end up getting a rocky, uh, montage that comes with the training of trying to get get thing get his life back together, because he's called upon to do another uh, mission, an extraction mission, that has family connections. But the extraction takes place in this prison, and uh, and that leads to a whole other uh, area of things. Yeah, I think Chris Hemsworth as an action star, he kind of fits into his own category that not many other modern action stars uh, can are as versatile as he is uh obviously he can be your invincible god of thunder he he can put on those you know muscles that look like your stallones or your arnold schwarzeneggers right in the 80s uh or he's you know comfortable with the rock in some of his roles but i think in movies like this he he makes you believe that he is vulnerable and yeah. he does go through a lot of pain with every hit he takes and he has to earn every bit of it. He's, yeah. Anytime he gets, anytime there is an injury, he's going to be dealing with that injury throughout the entire movie. And, uh, I think this, uh, this movie paints a good portrait of really that vulnerability that he can uh, display. And I think another movie from a few years ago, uh, that did something similar was, uh, 12 strong, uh, which yes. was the, uh, the war film. Um, and then just to kind of throw another wild card in there uh, to really show Hemsworth range as an action star, um, you look at the Michael Mann film Black Hat, where he's playing this computer hacker who's also just, you know, your Chris Hemsworth physique, who is really good at like hand to hand combat and can, you know, take on somebody and uh, can physically match up with somebody. But it's that's a much different action action star role than this compared and this is much different than something like Thor. And so I just think he's, he has a really uh, impressive range to him in that regard. This is a film extraction too, that is, is full blown action. And I say full blown action, but there is uh, a story to it. And honestly, Thomas, I appreciated the story and appreciated the, this movie better than its predecessor. I actually ranks higher on my list. Uh, you talked about that vulnerability that Hemsworth has. You see that not just from his physical aspect, but also the emotional vulnerability shine through. And you get uh, you get a chance to understand, I think, the backstory even a little bit more uh, with uh, with Hemsworth's character Tyler Rake uh, in this one. 
uh, as well. It, it's a it, this is a film that I, I will go back to, uh, not just for that uh, twenty-one minute one take, but I'll go back to it. Uh, your, your mom uh, really loved this uh, as well, and um, hour and uh, what's an hour twenty-two minutes runtime. Um, so actually, I'm sorry, hundred. Yeah, 122 minute runtime. Let me get that out there. Um, but it's uh, available on Netflix, and uh, it's one of those that if you saw the first one, it's worth uh, watching that first one again prior to watching this, uh, just to have a great, uh, great double feature. Uh, it it does have uh, a lot of uber violence uh, and language, as you would expect if you saw the first one. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, by Uber violence, we don't mean violence that takes place inside of an Uber car. So <laughs> we just mean a great deal of violence. So. But but there are there is some violence that happens within vehicles, so right, uh, you right. can you can see that as well. All right, Thomas, uh, any final thoughts before you give your rating for Extraction Two? Uh, yes, I think the way I sum this up, it's watching this movie is like injecting black coffee in an IV that's not quite gourmet black coffee, but it is black coffee from one of your higher-end gas stations like QT or Sheets. So really good really good black coffee by gas station standards. <laughs> All right. So what, what's your final rating for uh, Extraction 2? Solid B for Extraction 2. Yeah, and and I'm actually taking it to a B plus uh, for me because it did, it honestly did more than I had expected it to to be, and uh, I'm I'm glad I got a chance to check that out. Well, Thomas, we have uh, just uh, really two and a half minutes, so uh, do you want to give a, a quick take on a series that you have completely fallen in love with, and we can expand on it later? But uh, one that you've just been. Uh, and, and been hearing about it for, for a while, and you just now got a chance to really dive in. Yeah, so The Bear, we had the first season last year, and I came to it a few months later than most people. Uh, I think I watched it maybe in like August or September, and uh, it was a quick turnaround in the second season, uh, which just dropped uh, this June on Hulu, and I adored the first season. Um, it's it captured, it's just like extremely authentic and real and honest in every aspect of everyday life. And that, you know, none of these people have their lives put together. Nobody is really truly content and they're all just searching in this chaos for some sort of peace. And, um, and I, that's what I just fell in love with in the first season and the second season expands on that in every way. Um, it is, you know, beyond that, technically it is gorgeous to look at, um, that captures the city of Chicago in a really, really beautiful light. And, uh, it does take place as this, this, uh, family is basically trying to reopen a family restaurant after a tragedy in the family and, uh, just the immense chaos that surrounds that. And uh, there are some incredible cameos in the second season from Jamie Lee Curtis to Olivia Coleman uh, and uh, Bob Odenkirk. There's a Christmas episode that makes the Griswold family Christmas look uh, pretty chill, actually. So, um, so yeah, I, I cannot recommend the Bears um, both both seasons enough. And um, it's really, this is a show that I'm probably going to be watching again and again for the rest of my life. You can find The Bear on Hulu. It is an FX uh, original, but you can find that on Hulu. Uh, and I, I think 
two seasons, total of episodes, 18 episodes. So they're, they're relatively short seasons. Do I have my math correct there, Thomas? Yeah, that's right. Eight episodes in the first season and all those are about 30 minutes long. And then the second season, uh, 10 episodes, all those are about 30 to 40 minutes long, uh, with the exception of the Christmas episode, which is an hour long special. So appreciate you spending time with us right here on Meet Me in the Movies as we talk uh, cinema and uh, looking forward uh, in a few weeks to kind of look back at the summer as we you know get into to later in August and we'll look at some of the hits and misses and uh, disappointments and surprises as well uh, as we recap the, the summer that was. It's, it's going pretty fast, Thomas, going pretty fast. And we always appreciate everyone spending time with us uh, right here on Meet Me at the Movies and you can email us info at c19.tv and you can check us out each week on C19 TV. Uh, for Thomas Manning and for uh, the cast and crew right here, all of us, I'm North Manning the second saying, that's a wrap. Till we meet again.